Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I am joined, as always, by my friendly fellows. This is Alex. I'm Zach. And we're joined this week as well by Rob from Malhir Talks. Hey, how's it going? Each week we get a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth, the This Week. We're diving back into the Lord of the Rings and doing things a little bit differently. So normally this would be where we jump into a summary of what takes place in the second book of the Fellowship of the Ring. But just in short, uh, this book follows from Frodo waking up in Rivendell all the way up to him and Sam departing on the boat together. Starting off this week, uh, Zach, do you want to tell us a little bit about what happens to Sam in this book? Yeah, so uh, Sam is just coming off of um, their fleeing from the uh, Nazgul, as uh, we talked about in the last book, although Frodo was their primary target. Sam, as always, is getting swept up in, in Frodo's BS, and, uh, and it seems like he wouldn't have it any other way. Um, if we're taking a look at our hero's journey and how we divide things, I think that um, we, we see a couple of really cool things with Sam, specifically the Road of Trials when they're walking through the Mines of Moria is, I can only imagine, again, we don't get a ton of Sam insight in this section, but if we take it, the Hobbits as a general grouping here and then focus in more on Sam's personality, I can't help but feel that Sam is probably overwhelmed by their experiences um, with the orcs and the Balrog in the mines. And so and this is definitely a trial between the types of combat that they're interacting with, the fleeing for their lives. It's something that I think Sam feels himself to be lucky to have, to have gotten through here um, in this story. Um, I think the most impactful moment for Sam in this entire book is the meeting with the higher power. The meeting with Galadriel, the uh, elven high lady, in which uh, they actually receive numerous gifts. Um, specifically, he gets to see into the mirror to see what could be, and he actually, in that instance, views his temptation. He sees the Shire uh, being destroyed and, and those he cares about being cut down, and he immediately gets up to go back to the Shire to help. And uh, she explains to him, this is a thing that could be, it's not something that's already happened or is happening. And that assuages his, his guilt a little bit, but I think he still has this grand temptation to uh, return home and, and try to right the wrongs that, are, that he thinks is going to be happening there. Ultimately, he decides that the, the best way to achieve those goals is to continue with, with Frodo on the quest. Um, tying back into our meeting with the higher power is she not only gives him the gift of, of seeing that potential, um, that potential future and then helping him to resolve that temptation. Uh, he gets uh, a boat, which he's really happy about, which was a bit odd. I thought when they show up at the boats and they make a note that say Sam is particularly happy about seeing these boats because I don't think Sam has much experience with boats. So I thought that was a bit of an odd uh, addition, uh, but we do get a wonderful gift from Galadriel later when she meets them on the boat, so has that final meal with them. Uh, everyone gets these beautiful weapons and, you know, and these magical items, and you know, you guys know what Sam gets? Sam gets a box of dirt and an acorn, essentially, um, and told that it'll make his flowers bloom real good if he manages to get home with it. So I feel like he got shafted a little bit. Um, I don't think Sam uh, particularly feels that way. That's more of me imparting it on Sam there. Um, 
Uh, I think we can agree that Galadriel gives the gifts that everyone needs, not necessarily the gifts that everyone wants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big assumption he's just not going to die because she didn't give him something that'll help protect himself like everybody else. It's like, you know, if you manage to survive, then you'll have nice flowers. But I'm going to give everybody else a thing that helps them survive, so... Well, maybe um, she just knew that Sam would be fine the whole time and nothing bad happens to him ever. That's she doesn't true. have that mirror, guys. The mirrors? That is true. That is true, and, I'm, and if she... It's funny because that would then be assumptive that no matter the outcome of the Lord of the Rings books, Sam survives. Like even if if uh, the Dark One takes the rain and destroys the earth, Sam is still alive with his garden. Uh, <laughs> because they it's supposed to like represent the different types of things that can happen. So if she's that confident of it, then Sam just must be a constant in the in the Lord of the Rings verse. Um, you know, death, taxes, and samurai skin is the three constants of life. <laughs> Apparently. Um, and a box of dirt. Yes, and, and, a, a and a real good box of dirt and a silver acorn. Um, you know, beyond that, Sam has some good interactions with the um, with the rest of the, the party, with the rest of the uh, companions. But when Sam is interacting with Frodo, talking about his dreams and how they discuss that it might be uh, Gollum that is, that is chasing after them. But I don't think this qualifies as a great enough of a realization to become any sort of apotheosis. And as such, I think this is all we really see from Sam here in this in this second book. While he's certainly not uh, the least important character, I don't think he really has come into his own yet. Yeah, Zach, I think you're right. We do have a lot of book left to cover Sam, so I, there are definitely going to be room for these other steps. Um, one thing that I am interested in is do you see Sam joining Frodo and crossing the river as a trial for him? Um, in my mind, Thank that's... God somebody brought it up. Yeah. In my <laughs> mind, that's everything. a big step. He's, he's really deciding that Frodo can't go by himself. Um, even though Sam has been dedicated to Frodo this whole time, this is his first chance to go away. And I think that is, it's a trial for him to continue on with Frodo. So you're saying that the like the emotional decision and like the wherewithal that it takes is something that showcases a growth in his character that would fit his road to trial? Yeah, um, Sam is a pretty static character, but mm -hmm. it shows his like furthering um, his decision to join Frodo and support Frodo on the quest. Okay, now let me come back at you then with uh, a bit of a counterpoint. Could this instead be some sort of delayed crossing the threshold or belly of the whale due to the fact that they're leaving the protection of the of the rest of the uh, of the members here? I don't think so because um, Sam had already committed to going with Frodo much earlier. Um, we could go back to leaving the Shire. We could go back to leaving Rivendale. We could go back to going with him into the mines of Moria. Uh, all of those points, Sam is recommitting, but here I think it's more of a trial because now he's committing to go um, alone and not without the rest of the group. I don't see it as a belly of the whale. We've already had Sam make that commitment so many times. More as a trial, figuring out that Frodo is going to cross the river um, and then joining him, convincing Frodo to take him with him. So how is that not just like the final major major belly of the whale for you? Just because, as you as you said, it is another 
chance to re reaffirm the quest and it's leaving the comfort of the group. It's the first, right? It's since they've, I guess more as well, but it's since because it's because he already has had a trial and this proposal that Zach has going through Moria is already a trial. You have to have gone through the belly of the whale to um, undergo your trials. I think I ultimately agree with Alex. I just think it's a, it's a due to the nature of Sam's journey. Alex kind of said it. There's, there's this repetitive affirmation of, of following Frodo and, uh, it's, it seems like it's supposed to be a continuing character point, uh, you know, intentionally for Sam. Um, whereas others may may fall or get led astray, Sam is, is certainly uh, not necessarily immune from that, but continues to, um, to follow along. Yeah, I'm 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 sat on the fence on this one. It's 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 a tough one to pick for me. Um, you know, it. There's arguments for it and arguments against. Um, it's I'm listening to all of you and I'm like I I'm really not sure if it is or isn't to be honest. Yeah, I mean they definitely provide some good arguments. I lean towards Belly simply because in terms of six books, the end of the second book lining up sort of the end of the first first third of our journey makes the most sense to me. But right within the context of these two books, there's clearly already been a lot of adventuring as Alex has talked about. I, I might lean towards saying yes, purely because this is, um, this is just Sam going through this, whereas Moria, it's all of them going through it. Um, so there's a, a bit more significance to particularly Sam at this moment. So I'm, I'm going to lean yes for that reason, but it's still only just. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of an important distinction that we as a group have to decide maybe for the entirety of the book is that at what point is the company, you know, the companions of the ring, um, at what point are they the hero collectively versus our individual characters? And, you know, the whole never kind of, the group is never the hero it's always frodo in my mind <laughs> i mean that's fine it's just uh, that you you can take away some of the individual um responsibility of certain things by just assigning that responsibility to the party as a whole i think we see sam's continued uh interest and dedication to the quest uh, although he he kind of draws the short stick in a couple instances and, and finds himself in continued danger. So while he doesn't have too many dedicated moments here in this first story, I think he still holds his own as a member of the party and by the end has assured his place uh, within the, the greater storyline. All right, and I think that really wraps us up here on Sam. So we're going to head to Rob and talk a little bit more about one of our other halfling companions, Mary. Yeah, so um, I continue on from Mary where we did um, obviously focus on him the first time. Um, Mary, it's not like Mary doesn't do anything in the, the second half of this book, but going through it, I feel like most of his activity was all in 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 the first part all i've got was more affirmations of the road of trials um originally i had weathertop as his uh, sort of first trial um and i did consider going through the mines of moria as like a reaffirmation of that but as i made the point with um sam and it being an individual 
uh, reference there while crossing the water with with Frodo, like is a whole group that go through that. So I was thinking more at the end when the Urukai catch them and and the whole situation with Boromir, um, where they, you know, basically get taken away from the group. That's that's very particular to him and Pippin. Rob, uh, um, where where did where, where did they get taken? That's the next book. I know. Yeah. I just want to hear the lies. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've taken the old promise to Isengard. All right, continue. <laughs> I, I'll promise to do that. All right, that's uh, fair. In the next, yeah. Well, I'll sing it as well if you'd like. Oh, you know? good. <laughs> we'll, we'll drop a fat beat. There we go. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I looked at um, meeting with the higher power, the Gladrill meeting. Now, yeah, she's a higher power, but does he get any gifts or, or anything like that? Like the descriptions say, mm, he gets a belt. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about Sam getting a box of dirt. Sam likes to grow things at least, but, you know, Mary's like, here's a silver belt, bro. Like, doesn't really, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got, like, is his trousers really that bad at staying up? Or, you know, he doesn't have a belt already. <laughs> it's a social commentary piece. <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. Um, so that one, I think, uh, thinking about what happens in the next book, I definitely feel that that's not really going on there. So I, I think for Mary, it's kind of, although he has actually does things in the second half of the book, I don't feel he crosses off any new um, new points on the journey. I think he just reaffirms the road of trials um, as, you know, with the Urukai. And it's sort of the next book where we get more of his story developing with the, the points. Um, I, mean, I don't know. Do, does, do you think I've missed anything here? No, I really don't. I think part of uh, like the weakness of this, not really the weakness of this book, but something interesting I noticed was Mary and Pippin fall into the background. They're, they're not doing things uh, individually right now. I think there's only a couple times where they stand out to me when Pippin knocks or drops a rock into the well and Moria or... Yeah when Mary talks about how he like, likes boats and like, I, I don't honestly, having just finished this book today, have a hard time remembering specific parts for them. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was going through myself and uh, I was thinking this, you know, at the beginning we've got Call to Adventure and all the, their activities with Frodo and learning from Aragorn I've put down and leaving Bree. And then suddenly it's like, they just, I mean, yes, they get added to the group, um, uh, Gandalf adds them in. Uh, it's not exactly how it happens in the movie, obviously. They, he adds them in after they're studying maps and various things, if I remember correctly. Um, but, you know, that's kind of it. They're just sort of there, and then they get kidnapped at the end. Um, so as much as I wanted to have lots to talk about, Mary kind of left it there, but I still love Mary. So that's <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to carry on with Mary because I do love him as a character. Yeah, so I think... One thing, other thing we could talk about here is the Galadriel as the higher power. Uh, looking mm -hmm. at our notes, everyone put Galadriel as the higher power here. For yeah. The characters we're discussing. Do you think there's any character that Galadriel doesn't fulfill that higher power gift giver uh, role? Gandalf. <laughs> that, that's a gibby, isn't it? I mean, it's not there. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> sure, Gandalf. Gandalf Galadriel definitely doesn't have the higher power role. Okay, what else? Anyone else? I I think what Alex might be trying to get us to talk about is the idea that although 
Galadriel at face value here serves as a higher part, power to the group. This isn't necessarily everyone's real meeting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I was particularly, I mean, I had Galadriel down at first and then I thought about book two with Merry and his interactions with other people going forward. And I'm like, hmm, I think there are other moments for him that have an impact on him as a character and what happens with his arc as opposed to this particular moment where, you know, as we pointed out, some people get, you know, some belt buckles and boxes of dirt and, you know, things that are nice, but not really big plot altering gifts, um, you know. We talked a little yeah. bit about how um, Mary and Pippin kind of get slotted into the party, but I seem to remember, again, I, I read this last week, so, but I seem to remember they kind of stood up for themselves um, at first to Gandalf in the, when they're having their own little meeting, the hobbits having their own meeting, and they say, you know, I wish Pippin complains that Sam gets to go, but they don't. Mary says that uh, if the other, you know, if Frodo has to go, then his friend should get to come. And then later they, they pipe up, I think, during the meeting. And then Elrond says they get to go. You know, Pippin jumps in and says that thing, and there's no place for us if you've with the party that you filled out if you send those elven lords. And I maybe that's more of a Pippin thing. I tend to fall into the trap of lumping the two together more often than it's, I it's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. Um so maybe that's more of a Pippin thing than a Mary thing. Because um, isn't that right where they wanted Elrond wanted to put some more elven lords in the party? Yeah, he wanted to send Mary yeah. back to uh, the Shire. That might be a good time to talk about the uh, Council of Elrond in general, because I'm not going to lie, it's been a very long time since I had first read that one, and most of my familiarity with it is still in movies. I've forgotten how just world lore dense of Elrond really is as just like a 20-page exposition, exposition dump on us. <laughs> yeah, I mean about all the characters and their relative importance. Where everyone's come from, hints of everyone's backstory. I think the line, uh, something along the lines of, this tale was known to some, but not all at the meeting is used like six or seven times as we talk about what everyone had done previously. It's a very Arabian Nights sort of showcase. Uh, but, oh, sorry, I was going to ask because I'm curious. Is there anywhere that you wish there'd been... Right, we talked about Mary and Pippin fading into the background. Is there anywhere where you wish there was a little more Mary going on? Ooh, tough one. Um, I mean, I think he does so much to get them out of um, the Shire to begin with. That him, with all the extra characters being brought in in this, you know, after the, the Council of Elrond, I, I think it's okay that he sort of fades away a little bit with Pippin into the background because they get their own separate plots going forward from the next book, pretty much. Um, that it's kind of okay to be like, right, you've, you've had this big introduction with all these little characters. I say little in the physical sense, because yeah. um, they're, not, they're not little characters in terms of the book. Um, but you've had all this interaction. You've got to know them. You've seen some of their motivations. You've been on a little bit of a journey with them. Now let's throw in a whole heap more set of characters and focus on them for a while. Like he has this fun little moments of getting Gandalf through the door at Moria, which really is such a simple 
um, inscription where you think about it, speak friend, as opposed to you know, talk to me, mate, and um, you, I'll let you in. It's actually like, just say the word friend and you can open the damn door. It's, you know, <laughs> there, there are fun interactions like that, dropping the stone down the, the well and uh, waking up all the, the orcs and that. It's, you know, there are fun interactions that remind you that you should like these characters, but I think their development is done in the, the first half of the book. So it's, I didn't miss them so to speak i didn't feel that they got railroaded into the the background um because there was something better coming on i think it was more a case of we've had their time now it's others and then we can carry on with the the big expansion of the story afterwards i, w I was worried i was reading this so i'm like mm, i don't really have anything more for mary but i don't think i'm missing anything either so yeah i'm, I'm glad that uh, i'm not being an idiot there <laughs> yeah i mean they, they can be involved in the story like you said without having points that mark the hero's journey we talk about entirety we talk about entire books as their own hero's journey and we when we actually break down what the journey is we probably only hit maybe 35 40 percent of the actual meat of the book which leaves tons of and those are books that are focused on one character primarily so um that yeah. leaves plenty of room in the in between to to have fun and interactive moments that don't necessarily fit with the journey. Uh, yep. One minor note there, I feel as if you've failed to acknowledge that the road of trials often consists of like 70% of the book. Yeah, that is that is fair. Uh, but we end up only choosing a couple things. Like we're not necessarily going to talk about, you know, in, in any other book, an interaction that the main character has with a tertiary character might be a fun thing that's really enjoyable to read but it's not a trial or any other form of, you know, and so uh, Mary helping Gandalf with the door is a fun thing that showcases a little bit about the character, but doesn't have any major impact. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of all I could come up with Mary. Um, I mean, it's a little disappointing that he doesn't have a lot in the second half of the book, but that's because he crammed it all into the first half, in my opinion. But uh, moving on now, I think to Jack, who's going, not Zach, Jack, <laughs> get the names right. And he's going to talk about Boromir. Yes, and I originally thought I was being very clever and cheating by picking somebody who the bulk of their character arc would be covered exclusively in the second book. And man, did I still only come up with a few points. Uh, right, in my head at least, Bormir's journey is trying to be sort of the leader that he thinks his people needs, which is why when he gets this dream with a cryptic poem, that tells him to go seek out the Lost Blade. He uh, right tells his brother to stay home and jumps immediately on it as a call to adventure. And we don't really see much between that and when he makes it to the council, but there could be some other points along the way. Uh, I kind of have his crossing the threshold and meeting the mentor flipped, because uh, for me, crossing the threshold is choosing to group after he's given all the information on what's going on uh, with the ring and his mentor, whether he not for me, is sort of Aragorn as maybe not necessarily the traditional mentor relationship, but as somebody that he, whether he likes it or not, it's the kind of person he actually wants to be. Uh, and then his road of trials kind of gets caught up with the rest of the group in Moria, like several other people. Um, and in sort of an interesting twist, 
with our meet with the higher power with Galadriel, Boromir's very distrustful. He's not, uh, he's been told stories his whole life about Lorien. And so while he still ultimately receives gifts with the rest of the group, it's the best I could find for him, but it's just not our normal take. And then sort of the last point on his journey, there's a little bit more that will come, but it is his temptation and it's the constant temptation of the ring and taking its power for himself as the easy way out on becoming a better leader of men to just take it from Frodo, bring it to Gondor and in ways that he doesn't understand, use its power to drive back the armies of Sauron. Uh, and unfortunately for both the Fellowship and everyone else, uh, Boromir kind of falls to this temptation. He ultimately does, after Frodo rebuffs his advances, advice, uh, continually tries to take the ring, and that is what starts our shattering of the Fellowship. Uh, I'd like to imagine that this was the beginning of a wonderful redemption arc, because he immediately... <laughs> Uh, it sees what he's done as wrong, but as a, as we all unfortunately know, his redemption arc is crammed very abruptly into the beginning of the next book. And while he might ultimately pick to do the right thing, uh, he doesn't have time to really become a better man. Any, any points later on in the journey that you think I've missed? I wonder, rather contest? than that, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about your Galadriel visit. Um, do you think think, you know, he's been told the evils of, of the elves and stuff. Do you think his acceptance of the gifts when they leave is an indication of a change of a mindset or simply of a don't look a gift horse in the mouth sort of interaction? I'd like, again, I'd like to believe that it's the first steps along the journey, right? That choosing to take those gifts, if we'd given more time, could be viewed as maybe the first trial rather than a meeting with a higher power. We just don't really get enough time with his headspace to know the truth of what it was. Okay. Well, having said that, then, if we don't have enough information, think about it from Boromir's point of view with his interactions with Aragorn, his quote-unquote mentor. Do you think that he has shown enough, I guess, proof or... Um, context to really think of Aragorn as the person who's being presented to him as, right? He's just, hey, here's some random guy who's kind of looks slovenly, who's supposed to be this rightful descendant of kings, when really I'm a prince and I should be the one who's kind of the, the head honcho here. Do you, do you think that's a character flaw in Boromir or do you think it's something that's intentionally... You know, would you necessarily, having spent your whole life as a prince, want to follow somebody who just showed up out of nowhere and everyone's telling you he's a bigger deal than you? Uh, it's especially contentious because not only are you told he's a bigger deal, but you're told that he's right, the rightful heir to the throne that you thought you were going to sit on one day as the Stuart Prince of Gondor. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think we see that his resentment still comes from this sense of jealousy over the fact that he does wish he was more like him because after our initial introduction and the dump of information that he receives that Aragorn is right. Aragorn has a speech about uh, how well Gondor may be a city of walls, right? The 
men in the north and the rangers are really the right they they've received no praise but they've secretly been keeping the world justice mm -hmm. and boromir definitely continually resents aragorn i'm i'm blanking on exactly where it is but he has one of my favorite petty moments in the series where they're talking about things and he goes but it's not like i'm leader of the group and so i think it must in because Gandalf yeah. already left Gorn is now leader but Boromir just doesn't quite get those final steps to overcome his jealousy and temptation both given to him by the ring and sort of personified by it at the same time because that's what the ring does for all those things you're highlighting I don't see Aragorn as a mentor to Boromir I, I don't think there's enough interactions especially in this section of the book that we've read to say that aragorn is mentoring him at all um i i don't see any like gift giving or advice flowing one way from aragorn aragorn to boromir what what were you trying to highlight with that step or is there anything that you want to highlight in that step uh yeah so just kind of as i've talked about i agree with you that it's if we were doing this in sort of our normal podcast format, I would expect that to be a losing point because it doesn't fit with sort of our typical mentorship. It's definitely a lead by example kind of thing where Boromir, if you asked him, would tell you that he's already better than Aragorn and knows more than him and therefore uh, he couldn't possibly have anything to teach him. But I think we see continually presented uh, throughout this journey that that's just not the case that and right all of that jealousy and resentment comes from the fact that aragorn is lives the way that or lives his life the way that boromir wishes he could by actually being right a good honorable leader so i want to say that i think that you're correct that aragorn and boromir do have that kind of relationship and that really comes into play as Boromir is dying in the next book. And I think that that is a good atoma with the creator moment. I just think that you're putting too much emphasis on the mentor here. And really that this relationship builds up to a nice atoma with the creator in, in the next book. Yes, which I wasn't going to get the chance to talk about. So that's why I get, I, that is partially why I may have been trying to shoehorn it in by getting to talk about it with Aragorn as the mentor because we, I, don't, uh, we don't get I, the catharsis of that relationship here. I'm a little bit, I think I'm more in agreement with Alex here in that I don't think any of the lessons that Aragorn's example would try to impart, such as leadership and, and things like that, are made readily apparent in a change of Boromir. And so I think I agree with that. I um I want to I mean I I feel like I'm I am stretching here most definitely but I want to throw out uh, someone for consideration as a mentor for Boromir and that is Gandalf like he there is respect for Gandalf um, he's known and he initially leads the Fellowship until obviously his demise um, at, in Moria and then Aragorn takes over because Aragorn was you know, Gandalf's number two, um, his lieutenant, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm struggling to think of any sort of gift giving or guidance. Um, so I think I am stretching there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard because I, 
again, as I said, when I started out, I maybe it's just because of the movie's portrayal, but I was kind of, I, in my mind, think of Bormir as having a more complete character development. And so I was looking for this kind of interpersonal relationship that would help him grow. And there's hints of it in multiple places, but I, I'm also inclined to inevitably agree with Alex here that I just don't think it quite gets there. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking Gandalf as the mentor. Um, even if there's no specific gift giving, he does provide the group with a lot of guidance initially on the quest, even uh, going through Moria. And if you want to get like very technical, saving um, the group from the Balrog is definitely a gift. None of the other members of the group would have been able to face down the ball rock. I don't know. I think Gimli would argue with you there. <laughs> but it would still only count as one, Zach. Yeah. Yeah, it, it still just counts as one. That's the important thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, that's I hadn't considered yeah, saving them from the ball rock. That's uh it's definitely I mean giving someone their life is definitely a gift. Um I thought a little <laughs> bit about Elrond. That's it for multiple characters because he essentially lets them join the fellowship. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's a good enough. Like he's obviously extremely in charge, right? During the count, I mean, it's the call of the Council of Elrond. But like, how much of the successes and failures of the fellowship moving forward are lie at Elrond's feet from the formation and goal setting of the of the group? Yeah, that's it's a very short interaction he has with the the fellowship as a collective. Um, he has more in interactions later on individually, but not with the the whole fellowship. I think that's going to bring us to a close, uh, or almost to a full close on Boromir's attempted journey, and I think that's going to be a decent segue into talking about his not mentor Aragorn with Alex. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that you're right, especially because the first step I think Aragorn uh, meets in this part of the book is the meeting with the mentor in Elrond. Elrond reforges, well, orders the reforging of the sword that was broken to give to Aragorn to lead him into battle. He places Aragorn not in command of the fellowship, but in second of command in close council with Gandalf. He provides him this group to lead and and a further call to go to return to Gondor and take his throne by reforging that blade. So for uh, crossing the threshold for Aragorn, I would say like most of the group entering into Moria is crossing a threshold. Although Aragorn has been there once before, this is a very different Moria. Uh, we know that there are orcs present and surrounding the area. Gandalf and Aragorn are both scared and don't want to re-enter Moria. They were seeking another path. So there's definitely danger present, and I think this is a good threshold to cross. And coming out of Moria, I think, is exiting the belly of the whale, where Gandalf dies and Aragorn has to take leadership of the group. This is reaffirming his quest that I set him out on earlier to protect the hobbits and to retake the throne of Gondor. He's taking leadership of the small group, still leadership, and going to protect the hobbits here. Um, I think we had two more steps for Aragorn's first trial, leading the group from Moria after Gandalf dies until the party splits, I think represents a first trial. Aragorn leading the group here shows his development as a leader. And there is one instance I want to highlight. When Aragorn is 
paddling down the river and he passes under the statues of Isildur and Isildur's father, his heirs, um, sorry, his forefathers. He stands up, he sits up straighter. He, um, his dark hair was blowing in the wind. A light was in his eyes, a king returning from exile into his own land. So I think that as Aragorn enters into this, into Gondor, even though he splits from the party and loses leadership of that party, he is continuing on his road of trials from there. Um, finally, the last thing, as we've kind of already said, I think Galadriel is the higher power for Aragorn, giving him a gift of rest, advice, and also a scabbard for his uh, sword that was broken. Probably not the best example, uh, especially if we consider what Galadriel gives to Frodo. I still think that this fits. Yeah, I, uh, I I think we've covered that she doesn't give the best gifts to most of the fellowship, but um, rest and advice is definitely something a, a leader needs occasionally. So I, I still think it works. Uh, on a slightly side and... tangent, uh, the best gift is the one given to Gimli. I mean, provably. I mean, who doesn't want hair? I mean, that's not a little, you know, no offense to Gimli. He's one of my favorite characters, but a little stalkerish. Um, the reason it's like, if you, have you read The Silmarillion? I have not, sadly. Okay, so it's a... It's secretly a massive fuck you to a guy. Yeah, it's a, it, there's a guy in her past who pretty much just... his, his The whole point of his life was to get a, a, a lock of hair from Galadriel. And she refused him over and over and over. And then she gives three of them to a dwarf. And it's like a big fuck you to this other guy. Well, that genuinely makes me want to go read it now, to be honest. Yeah, it's just a big fuck you to this other guy. That one suddenly made the top of the, the next purchase on audiobook, if it is on audiobook. Ooh, that'd be a hefty <laughs> one. Some really on audiobook. Oh, you know, I, I'm off work for a while, thanks to another lockdown. So I've go. uh, got some time spare. Uh, Back to Alex. So a little more on track, Alex, though I am currently imagining Galadriel just reaching into a cupboard and grabbing re-gifted Christmas gifts uh, <laughs> to give to the fellowship. <laughs> all the different magic presents she's gotten from different suitors over the years that she doesn't talk to anymore. She's like, oh, here's some belt buckles. Look, she's at one with nature. She's being balanced. She's recycling, okay? She's married <laughs> Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Uh, for the crossing of the threshold, what made you pick entering Moria over, say, joining the group? Because joining the fellowship just also seems like a new stage of life for me for most of the characters. Um, well, for a lot of the traveling that they're doing until going into Moria, it's lands that Aragorn is familiar with, places that he knows the dangers present. Going into Moria, having only been there one time, um, and us knowing that Moria has changed or likely changed since he has been in there, I think it presents a bigger danger. And another reason that I like it is because it highlights the belly of the whale for me. Um, going into Moria is entering the belly of the whale and then exiting Moria is exiting the belly of the whale. So I liked that the crossing of the threshold reflected that or the, the one I picked reflected that um, journey. I think it works. Um, as you say, it's a very different Moria. It's dark, dangerous. It's one they're trying to avoid. Um, he's a ranger. He's been pretty much everywhere, apparently. Um, so to cross a threshold has to be 
more symbolic or more, you know, um, spiritual as opposed to, mm. you know, physically, this is the furthest I've ever been from the Shire, as one of the Hobbits says. Mm. Um, so I think entering Moria when you don't want to, um, you knowing that it's changed and it's dark, um, because it's the only way to get through the mountain range and not go past Isengard. I, I, I feel it fits quite well. No, I like that. I think that because we that's something we haven't talked about a ton most of the time because our heroes that we are discussing are not very well-traveled, and so the crossing can be that physical thing. Um, and usually it also has an additional emotional component, but here it has to be almost solely. I, I think you've, you've covered all the things he, he does, to be honest. Um, I don't... I don't think I could add one or tweak. I mean, originally meeting the mentor, I was thinking Gandalf, but he's known Gandalf so long and there's no gift giving, so to speak. Um, but it definitely fits that Elrond is there with the, the sword that is not a sword. Um, that was my only initial fault when I first saw the list. Um, but yeah, I think it, it fits really well. I think you've got them all. I don't think you've missed any either. Do you think the automatic assumption of leadership in the moments immediately after Gandalf's fall to the Balrog is a showcases what does that tell you about Aragorn as a character that he was always ready for this inevitability or he's just quick thinking or what kind of deeper because it happens so quickly you know fly you fools and Aragorn I think shouts I, I lead you now or something along those lines and um, which is also and one of the reasons that it was important that he had been in the mines before because he knew the way out. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Did anyone else? Did anyone else feel the smugness that just came across there and the satisfaction of that sentence? Yeah, I just realized. Like, not like, tell them directly how to go. Um, really, it was Boromir should have spoken up first and been in charge. I mean, I, that's kind of how really I going. expect. You know, on the first time you're reading it. It's been so long ago, but I think I would have gone, oh, the Boromir wants to lead. He's going to try to usurp this. But maybe it's just because it's such a hostile, like, important moment that they're fleeing for their lives that it's it doesn't come up. But Yeah, so part of the reason I don't think Boromir could take control of the group like that is because his intention has always been to go return to Gondor and fight for Gondor. And the rest of the party... Um, have the discussion of, well, should we continue with the ring directly into Mordor? Should we go to Gondor first? Or, like, what what should we do? Uh, Bormir doesn't have that, so he can't really lead a group who is mm. still split on that decision. That's think, interesting, Alex. I like that. Because, isn't it, before they go to Moria, he pretty much says, uh, I won't go unless everybody else votes against me, and then the wolves show up? Yeah, he won't go into Moria unless everyone votes against him. I, I would also argue that the group is more bonded to Aragorn as a leader. Um, the Hobbits, you know, see him as, you know, part savior. Obviously, he has a kinship with Legolas. Um, you know, he's lived with Elrond for quite a period of time. He's, you know, dating his daughter, uh, you know, unofficially. Um, so... And he's been friend with Gandalf for for many years, so it was almost like I I felt that Gandalf just treated him like you're my second in charge, um, and in that moment, you know, Aragorn made the decision to act, whereas Boromir was still kind of just mm. stood there with his jaw dropped to the floor, like, oh crap, what do we do now? Um, 
I think I those things windows clash, I'd probably freak out as well. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, so I just feel that, you know, Aragorn's knowledge of Gandalf, his ability or knowing some of his abilities, he probably was less shocked by the battle and more right. Okay. Unfortunately, Gandalf's gone, but I've got to do something. Whereas Boromir stood there and be, if Boromir had said something, I think the hobbits wouldn't have snapped out of it. No one else would have reacted quite the same way because mm. there was more trust in Aragorn and he felt he was picking up the mantle of being king and, and taking charge, but he, he obviously, I, I feel he felt there um, the obligation from them. Like we'd now look to you because we feel connected to you more. We trust you more. And um, so he was like, well, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. And um I mean, I could put a Wheel of Time reference in there if you want, but, you know, it's, no, you, <laughs> death is uh, heavier than a mountain. Duty, uh, no, sorry. Oh, damn it. Ah. <laughs> I, I swear I know what I'm doing. Sorry. So death is lighter than the feather. Duty heavier than a mountain. Like, you just got to do it sometimes. Um, and I, that's how I felt when I read it uh, the first time that Aragorn was like, right, well, they're all looking to me. They're not looking to borrow more. Uh, borrow me. Borrow more. <laughs> It's, it's his twin cousin. He's a, he's a little he's a little heftier around the waistline, but he'll still get the job. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, but that was kind of how I felt that you know he he was just reacting to that obligation. Um, but also, obviously, because he'd been in the mines before, he he had the knowledge of where to go. So you know, he instantly reacted like, "Let's let's get the hell out of here. Let's get out of Dodge." So, Alex, why do you think there's no? refusal of the call for Aragorn and do you wish right do you wish there had been one at the beginning of this book or the end of the previous one oh yeah so that's something interesting um in the last book I said there wasn't one or I was hoping we'd have one I don't think that Aragorn has one this is something we've seen with the more eager heroes as soon as Aragorn is presented the opportunity to go take back the throne of Gondor he kind of jumps on it um in in the movies they play up this like a reluctance but in the lord of the rings actual books i couldn't detect any reluctance from him to take back the throne um i i don't think that there's any reason there should be one i just uh, i think it's a representative of aragon being a more eager hero than many of the other characters in this book like the hobbits wanting to have that more simple life um aragorn doesn't have that same draw no, I agree. Um, when I initially read it, I didn't know, obviously, you know, I didn't read it with these things in mind, but um, it's not something where I was like, oh, he seemed a bit too eager or a bit too just, I'm going to go do this. Why did he not do it sooner type situation? But looking back, I, I almost kind of wish that he'd got to um, Rivendell with, with all the the hobbits and that and gone, Gandalf, what the hell have you dropped me into? Like, dude, I had a quiet life. I don't want to do this and just kind of almost been a little resentful and not wanting to do it and kind of just being like, you know, oh, Ron goes, uh, dude, you're going deal with it or you'll never date my daughter ever again. Type thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it would almost be nice if, if he wasn't pretty, because if he's so ready to do it, why is he not already gone and claimed his kingship? You know, yeah, if, he's, if he's so eager and so accepting straight away, why, why is it taking this situation and him to be 80 years old before he's gone and done anything about it? Am I right? Is he about 80? Yeah, he's 80 about... something right now. Yeah. Like, it, it almost would be nice if there was a little bit of, like, well, I, 
like you see in the movies, the reluctance or I'm not I'm not strong enough or good enough or, or anything like that. In the books, it's it's really not there. Um, and yeah, it, would, it would fit a little better because looking back, I do definitely think that, well, why did you not go do it before if you're so ready to do it now? What changed? Well, I think there's a certain amount of where is the where is his efforts going to be best utilized? It seems like with what he's saying to Boromir earlier when he's talking about the important role that the Rangers play, that he has a certain sense of he liked being hands-on in the front line, actively fighting the, the darkness. Whereas I think you could interpret the the, the title of, of leadership of Gondor imparts a certain amount of separation from direct action and so i always at least saw it as a sort of i want to get my hands dirty sort of thing because that's what i think is most useful to help fighting the darkness but then when he realizes that this epic struggle is about to take place that is less of a of a localized instance that he needs the full might of gondor behind him to to make a difference yeah, that's true. I mean, a king doesn't go off and fight in the front lines, typically. Um, so, yeah, valid. I like it. So, for a question for everyone this week, um, what do you think Aragorn's refusal of the call is, if he has one? Is there a specific scene or interaction which you would highlight as a refusal of the call to help the hobbits and reclaim the throne of Gondor? Um, and please reach out to us with your answers. You can find us on Twitter at a underscore heroes underscore journey or on Facebook at a heroes journey pod. Yeah. So for anyone who's read wheel of time, um, I don't recommend going check out my podcast. If you haven't read it all, because it is a spoiler podcast, um, except for my first time reader one, but I've only got a few episodes of that at the moment because recording is crazy with him. Um, but yeah, I do a spoiler podcast, Wheel of Time theories, general discussions, I and mean, we cover all sorts of silly things, uh, uh, you know, Black Asia point of views. Um, I've done relationships, we've done merger all children, um, you know, all sorts of wacky stuff. Uh, search for it, it's, all, it's on all the, the major platforms, Malkir talks, you can't really miss it. Um, and if you, you can't find it and you want to see something funny, check me out on Twitter at Malkiri R and you can see my Tam jokes instead. And uh, now I do an annual competition for the best one and I make a physical joke book out of it. So it's good fun. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, I have been your host and judge, Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And joining us this week, we uh, have... Apparently... Sorry. <laughs> apparently I've been Robert who interrupts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and start by next week when we'll be diving into The Last King by Michael Curtis Ford. Yay! Oh, thank you. Um, the Shire, and I almost did it just then as well, leaving the Shire and talking about what they're up to. I was like, so as you know, you get all their character development when they're leaving the two rivers is what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, no, it's the Shire. Two Rivers is your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs>